Cloud Casino. And don't forget about the fabulous twin double. As if anyone can. It's on every night at Roosevelt. So come on out to Roosevelt Raceway tonight. And by the way, if you prefer shows that are having long runs, Roosevelt's been going for 25 years now. This Saturday, see America's top trotters in the $50,000 American Trotting Championship. Program note, Million Dollar Movie presents the first New York telecast of the Hollywood film classic Tom Brown of Culver, tonight on Channel 9. This is WORAM and FM, New York. that stomach all flattened down. Time to get those deep knee bends going, girls. And I can hear those girdles creaking out there this morning. Ho-ho! Oh, all together now. Let's go, gang! <laughs> oh, it's time, girls, to get that stomach all flat now. You all set out there? You got the old man off to work? Oh, we can have a little time here together now. <laughs> all right, Professor, let's go. Now, remember, girls, it's number one in the book. This is what we call our multiple double Boston scissors exercise. Lie flat on your back. That's right. Take the creton curtain, put it up on your feet. Now spread them wide. And then as I count, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Do our famous Zeppelin crawl. All right, Professor, let's go now. Oh, Betty Goet has lips of red. For I told you, Jimmy, you didn't listen to Daddy. Hey. Coffee in the morning is an actual physical hunger with me. <laughs> but I'm serious. Before I have my coffee, my eyeballs are bloodshot. My soul is walking back and forth in the cage of my being like a trapped King Kong. Let's see. We have a tag here about air. Yes, Ehlers. And as you savor cup after cup of Ehlers rich, fuller, high mountain grown coffee flavor, you'll be saving Ehlers valuable money saving coupons at the same time. Twelve coupons are worth 75 cents. In fact, of all the coffees you can buy, only Ehlers packs this valuable money-saving coupon in every vacuum, tin, and instant jar of its grade-A coffee. Just save 12 coupons and mail them to Ehlers. And by return mail, Ehlers is delighted to send you 75 cents in cash. <laughs> Full details are on every tin and jar. I don't know whether they're selling coupons or coffee, but... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Ehlers is good coffee. I wish they'd just say that, you know. They've got all this jazz about sending coupons in and back and forth and getting in a big pen pal scene with the Ehlers people. Just drink Ehlers coffee. It makes it all away. Is there a tag on that one? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it's this terrible thing, though, that I cannot get that story out of my mind. 
for those of you who might have missed yesterday. Oh, this is old Lonesome Fred here. And uh, I'm taking, this is my last day. I'm taking here this little brief moment here for uh, Peter Lynn Hayes and Mary Healy. And I had a note that says, say their full names every time you say it. <laughs> it's pretty hard. Peter Lynn Hayes and Mary Healy. And uh, I'll be here until 10 o'clock or until Mr. Leader finally presses the panic button and deals with the whole shebang up here. As a matter of fact, you know, I've often thought that, that real public service should be done once in a while by a radio station. And uh, I was in there talking to Jim just before it went on. He says, what are we going to do this morning? I says, well, I have a suggestion. Why don't we play the theme? And then immediately after the theme, I come on, you see, and I say, ladies and gentlemen, WOR has decided to do a genuine public service. We are going to give you 43 minutes and 10 seconds of peace. Uh, we're going to turn the transmitter off here. You just keep us tuned here to 710. We're going to leave the, we're going to leave, we're going to, Phil Tonkin looks in sourly. We're going to leave the, we're going to leave the, the, the carrier on and we're not even going to play You're going to sit out there in your chenille bathrobe and contemplate your navel if you can stand it. And of course, by the end of the first 15 or 20 seconds, you'd be out of your skull, you'd be pulling feathers out of your ears, and you'd be, I'd say, uh, that's just the way we Americans are, you know, it's just a fact. You know, speaking of, uh, of panic, uh, I can't get that story out of my mind, the one we told yesterday about the guy that, that did the early morning exercise show, and how all the ladies came out to see him at Lincoln Park, and it turns out that he's a, he's a, he's an absolute drunk. You know, he comes staggering out of the cab at ten minutes before the show, reels across the green sward, wearing a, a bespattered tuxedo with the remains of last night's champagne. And in, they can see in the back seat of the cab a tall, thin, debauched-looking showgirl. You know, <laughs> comes rear, and he stands all the way. Well, I can't get out of it because you see, this is really the, in, a, in essence, the the problem of the dream and reality all put together. I I remember Mrs. Bruner who lived next door to us, Mrs. Bruner, uh, sort of looked like a, a fire plug or a fire plug with feet, you know, and, and she'd sit there in her, in her, in her flowered creton dress every morning and she would, she was madly in love with a, with a Chicago Cubs third baseman, a, a third, yeah, a third baseman named Stan Hack. And she, because, you know, when women are in love with somebody, generally they get very formal. And she was the only one in our neighborhood who refused to call him Stan Hack. He was Stanley Hack. <laughs> That's like calling Mickey Mantle by his real first name. What is his real first name? Ambrose Mantle, something like that. What is Mickey Mantle's first name? Can't be Mickey. I'm sorry. It just is not. Even coming from Oklahoma, his name is not Mickey. You know, speaking of, uh, of baseball, I'll bet there's panic over there. Up in the Bronx, you know, that when, when a new owner takes over, I can see Cleet Boyer's worried now. Because the word has been out that, that Arthur Godfrey has been practicing the long throw, you know. <laughs> I'm serious, you know. A couple of years ago, I made the prediction on the air that baseball would be taken over by showbiz. Well, it's beginning. Of course, the, the first encroachment, the first uh, little nibbling at the edge of show business came when, when uh, you know, the big smash success of Casey Stengel. No question about it. Showbiz all the way. And uh, they tried a little bit with Yogi, but I've got an idea. They've got some real great managers in the wings. Can't you see, uh, can't you just see Ed Sullivan every morning just before the game starts? He walks out there and gives the gives the thing to the umpire and turns around, bows to the audience, and the first man up is very likely to be Paul Anka. Uh, well, have you? Charles Finley's been trying to get the Beatles to come out there. He's not worried about the Kansas City A's. He wants the Beatles out there. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's a funny thing, though. Uh, baseball, the whole the whole mystique of it. I've always felt uh, that 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 every guy inside of every man, there is a latent center fielder. Uh, I really have felt, no matter how much he puts it down, no matter how much he, you know, I, I've 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 always wanted to see, you know, just some one morning, you know, it's Christmas morning, and uh, you, you hear outside of your door, you hear the clattering of of uh, of hooved feet. You're lying there, you know, you're, you're, you're looking up, you say, Christmas, oh boy, Christmas. Oh, I suppose it's going to be the tie scene again, you know. Uh, a couple of socks, maybe a pair of slippers. And instead, you hear this. And suddenly there's a banging on the door. And a boom, 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 boom. Hey, Chief! They're banging on the door. And he says, what? It's Christmas. And the door slams up, and there stands Jimmy Dykes in full uniform. And Dykes waves to you. You're laying there in bed, and he says, Hi, Chief. Good morning. Get up. Merry Christmas. The boys are all here. And in comes the Kansas City Athletics, one after the other, you see. And and <laughs> and, and and the wife the wife looks at you and says, Well, Charles, I just didn't know what to get you. And uh and I knew that for years there was something you always really wanted to be, and that's a third baseman, and I didn't know how else to do it. And then Dyke says, Good morning, Chief. Hi, George. Oh, good to see you. Hey, sit down, Manny, will you? And Manny Jimenez sits down in the back. He says, Will you shut up, Rocky, for a minute? Quit singing Merry Christmas. I want to talk to the Chief about spring training. Hey, Chief, third base is open, and Chief, we're leaving for the training camp in two weeks. Get your glove oiled. We're counting on you, Chief. We're counting on you. Oh, well, let me put it another way. The Republican, the, 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 the Republican. I think the party, because uh, if we don't fight, then we've uh, got to pay the piper. Well, sir, isn't it true uh, that it'll be a better party if the hostess employs a little accent? Well, let me make this perfectly clear. I think people should be employed regardless of uh, their accent. No, I mean uh, if she uses accent on the food. Oh, yes. Well, I, uh, I wouldn't care to uh, comment one way or the other. You have heard of accent, though, in the red cylindrical container. Well, I, I wouldn't care to uh, say that I had. And then, on the other hand, I wouldn't... I know uh, accent is uh, a seasoning of some sort. Oh, or... not actually, sir. It has no flavor of its own. Uh... Oh, yes. I recall. Accent brings out the flavor nature's already put uh, in the beef or string beans, whatever. I think it's important uh, to bring these facts out in the open. It's one of the basics of democracy. Part of the real grassroots? Well, I suppose it will bring the flavor out in grassroots. I uh, really uh, wouldn't care to uh, be quoted on that. Could you give us a definite statement on accents? Well, perhaps, uh, possibly. Uh, no. But you are going to pick up some accents. Uh, we'll see. Hey, did you hear that girl there? The one that kept saying, will you give us definite statement on that? Uh, I'll give you the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me the lady, and boy, she was great when she was doing it, who used to do a little couple-of-minute thing every morning out of Chicago on, oh, she did it on a dozen radio stations, and she used to come on and she would talk that way, and she was always talking about getting a letter from her Aunt Hetty. Yeah, I, I got a letter from Aunt Hetty this morning. And, and and the MC would usually say, well, what did she say? Well, she said, you know, she was out doing the washing, and she got caught in the ringer again. And, <laughs> and they'd all laugh. Well, now, I don't know what you're all laughing about. You know, Aunt Hetty buys those Sears Roebuck girdles, and they have a tendency to pull out at the edges. Well, Aunt Hetty was walking past her Thor washing machine, and that washing machine just reached out and grabbed her. She she was stuck in that washing machine for over 40 minutes. She came out all covered with bluing. Well, now, I'll tell you, who is that lady? Just a wonderful, wonderful uh, performer when she was doing that. I'll, 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 I'll award you the brass fig with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who she is. 
What's the matter with fame? You know, it's so fleeting. I mean, I'll tell you, there was another guy who used to do a show out of Chicago, and he would say, uh, he had a little radio station, and that was his whole thing. He had this little radio station. He would say, give me a two down a tutor, Tommy. <laughs> Yes, it's, uh, this is a uh, blankety blank at the little five water down in Rosedale, Illinois. And we are on the air. Who was that? Had a little five water in Rosedale, Illinois. Sounds like every station I've ever worked for. <laughs> oh, my George, and things haven't changed either, you know. The antennas get higher, the power gets stronger, but it's still a little five water down in Rosedale, sitting here with the frozen asparagus recipes. You know, uh, speaking of, uh, a little five water down in Rosedale. I, I went to the ball game yesterday. And uh, after the ball game, I, I saw the Yankees play the White Sox. It was, it was exciting. I, lo I love those night games. There's something tremendously dramatic about it. You know, the light falls down there. And you just have that shade comes across the outfield. You see those those lurking white uniforms moving back and forth. Oh, it's tremendous. The, the, the excitement is all there. And after the ball game, I go down into the, the press they have a little press restaurant downstairs, you know, where all the freeloaders gather. You can always tell sports writers they've all got bad complexions from drinking too much free beer and eating too many free steaks. They all sort of, sort of sit there, you know, fat. <laughs> they never talk about baseball. They just sit there and shovel it in. And, and uh, there's a certain camaraderie. It's a, it's a very masculine world. And I'd love to do a, a movie or something in the press room of a baseball. There's a great, great atmosphere. These guys are always hitting each other on the elbow. And oh, well, I'll tell you, one time in Kansas City, Charlie, I'll never forget a steak I had there. I was sitting there with George, and uh, the guy came up, and he says, well, how do you want your steak cut? You want it a New York cut, or do you want the cross cut, or you just want the back end of the cow? Well, I said to him, and it's this kind of talk, you know, they're drinking the beer and hollering. So it's it's really back room in the, in the in the sports world. Well, I'm sitting there with a friend of mine, and in comes Mel Allen, who I've known for a long time. And I went over, I got talking to Mel, and it suddenly hit me. Mel Allen came out with a phrase. He says, "Well, Dad Gummit, a guy's got a a guy can't just can't compromise. Dad Gummit, I say he can't compromise." And I realized the first time I've heard anyone say Dad Gummit since I stopped reading the Toonerville Trolley, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, this is Mel Allen Oliver. Dad Gummit says, uh, you just can't compromise. And I expected the next thing to come out of his mouth was, by heck, that's what I always say. By heck, Dad Gummit, you can't. Well, well, this is a whole underground type of, uh, of expletive that, that comes somewhere from way out back, back of the silo and the boondocks, and it's purely American. And, and Mel said, yes, sir, Dad Gummit, I, I just figured you, you just can't compromise. And, and I said to, you know, I said to Mel, well, well, by George Mel, I, I believe you're right. Doggone it, I always say that, Mel. <laughs> and and uh, we're, we're standing back there talking and, and, and walking past us then with a towel around his neck with his T-shirt open was the guy that had belted a, a, a shot 420 feet back in the left field stands, Elston Howard. You know, he just walks past with a cup of coffee. Hi, boys. Goes on it. And there's a kind of a quiet settles down over the non-doers, you see. it's a, There's a quiet that settles down over the non-doers, the sports writers, the guys that talk about it, when the doers walk past. He says, hi, boys. And he just walks into the shop. <laughs> we all sort of duck down. You know, we're drinking our coffee, trying to pretend. Well, I'll tell you, one time in Kansas City, I was... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I'll tell you, political reporters must feel the same way, too, when a president walks past. 
You know, some guy who's always running the country from his column. He says, in my considered opinion, the situation that has arisen with Bolivia is inexcusable. The ridiculous behavior on the part of the executive department. And, of course, walking past is the president. They're playing hail to the chief. He walks in and the band plays and all the cabinet members file past. He must sit back there, you know, drinking his coffee. Well, I was saying to the crowd one time when we went to the convention in Atlantic City, I sent to them these smoke-filled rooms and I, by George, I, I, the... (laughs) Come on, let's go, Jimmy. Come on. Get in there, you little rascal. What? What are you doing to that pickle? Pushing it into the jar, of course. Jeez, I'm a pickle pusher. Morning, awful pickle racy. pusher 302 here at Heinz. Come on, get in there. I don't quite understand. Oh, look, every single jar of Heinz pickles gets <laughs> one last pickle pushed in by hand. By me. Gherkins, dills. I do them all. All 23 kinds of Heinz pickles. Stubborn. Seems a lot of trouble. It is. But who wants just pickle juice in a pickle jar? If your pickles jump right out of the jar, then you know they're not Heinz. Uh, ah! Ha! Got it! It's a little more trouble to get a Heinz pickle out of a jar because Heinz goes to a little more trouble to get it in. <laughs> always has, always will. That's what makes Heinz the pickle people. Here at Heinz, we at Heinz. We build a pickle for the nation. Here at Heinz, we are did they ever use the expression where you come from on a Saturday night after a guy's been lapping up the soup, he is pickled? They ever use that expression? I don't want to connect that with Heinz's because it won't do it. If you drink that Heinz's pickle juice, all that'll happen is your eyes will water. Uh, speaking of watery eyes, this is WOR AM and FM New York. We've got the pair of the wateriest eyes you ever saw in your life. I just took my shades off and the entire control room ducked. Hey, listen, speaking of Heinz's pickle, and as long as we're bringing up that subject, that I know it's a sordid one, but at uh, this hour of the morning, I, this is not a pickle hour, I'm sorry, but but uh, speaking of Heinz's pickle, I will award you the brass figligee with bronze oak leaf palm if you will tell me the name of a famous American international hero, actually. He's a famous American hero who flew an airplane around and he was in the back in the days when when aviators were tremendous stars. They were like movie stars, you know, the great aviators. And this guy flew an airplane around. He was one of the most dashing. He was the prototype of all the guys that Chester Morris played in those Class B movies. You know, with the silk scarf around the neck and the helmet that was all the big white helmet with big goggles on the top, with the leather puttees, and he had the high the whip cord, what they call high water pants. Who was that guy? He had a black leather jacket, and he used to fly an airplane around the country, and on the side of it had a great big 57 for Heinz 57. Now, who was that? And even the name of his airplane was a famous airplane. Do you remember it? He was, he was internationally famous, and of all places, he came from Indianapolis. And, uh, and he was a fabulous flyer. And one time, my old man, who went to every place where there was something free happening, uh, he, he took, he, he was a nut, you know, on this kind of stuff. If they announced that there was going to be a parade of the plumbers local in Chicago on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, some ungodly hour, who do you think was standing on the curb on Michigan Avenue? My old man, waving a straw skimmer, yelling and hollering. The plumbers, you know, the plumbers had marched past holding their, their plungers and all that stuff at, at ready, and oh, the flags are flying. It's the Chicago local 417 Plumbers of America. My old man is, yelling and hollering, and he would drag me down there. My kid brother, we would always go to everything free. Well, one afternoon, 
it was announced in the paper that this famous flyer was going to show up at a place called Ford Airport outside of Chicago. And uh, Ford Airport, by the way, they had a great, <laughs> they had the greatest diner that I ever saw in my life uh, at Ford Airport. They just don't do stuff like this anymore. One day at Ford Airport, a Ford trimotor had crashed. It came in and wiped out the landing gear. You know, she just slid on her belly all the way up to the up to the ramp, and everybody got out and walked in. You know, in those days, that's the way people flew. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't, they bounced three times and they'd turn turtle and flop over twice. And the back end would catch on fire, and then they'd all get out and carry their briefcases and go to work. Well, one day, a Ford trimotor had, had cracked up there and wiped the landing gear right out. Well, all they did was to take a truck, Jim, and tow it over to the edge of the field, knocked off the wing that wasn't knocked off. You know, they knocked the other one off. They opened the door, knocked out one row of seats, and put a counter in, and it was a lunch counter. Yeah. And you know what they called it? The wreck. <laughs> They're great. You know, can you imagine out here at Kennedy Airport, there's a wreck 707, you know, tails burned off, and they just put it. We don't do things like that, real style, you know. And, and we used to go out there, and, and the whole point was that we'd love to go out and eat in the wreck. And we'd sit there, and we'd have a hamburger, and, of course, look out to the, always pretending that we were flying. Of course, in those days, to fly was a fantastic thing, you know. And you'd come and watch the, the rich people come in on the planes, you know. We'd stand in the lights would be on them, and they'd come off, and they'd all look like movie stars. The whole point was when you got off a plane, even if it was 3 in the morning, you wear black sunglasses. Even if your flight was from Cicero to Winnetka, you'd wear black sunglasses. And we would go there and watch these planes. Well, one day it was announced at Ford Airport, that the famous man was arriving in his famous airplane with the 57 marked on the side of it. And not only that, he carried his famous mascot with him. What was his mascot? Boy, that'll hold you. He flew all over the world with this mascot in the rear cockpit. And I'll give you a clue. His mascot was a lion cub. How's that for style, boy? That'll, that, that, that's better than Arthur Godfrey, even. And this guy would fly all over in the air races with a lion cub. Well, of course, the word got out. The old man, he canceled three appointments to watch the plumbers march. He canceled an appointment to watch the VFW march in Cicero. He canceled an appointment to go down to the Soldier's Field and just cheer. You know, they just had cheering sessions at Soldier's Field for guys that were, you know, no parades or anything. They'd just go down there and cheer. They'd wave the flag and they'd all cheer. So he canceled all of that piled us in the back seat of the Oldsmobile, and we took off to Ford Airport. Well, there must have been 100,000 other nuts out there. All gathered, tremendous crowd, they're all jostling, and the cops are out there, and the, the dust is rising, and guys are running. You know how those things always work? Immediately, like, like locusts, the peddlers arrive. Guys are walking up and down the crowd selling Eskimo pies, and they were selling big buttons that had this guy's picture on it. They were selling flags, and little flags that say, Hooray for blankety-blank, and there'd be a picture of the plane on it, and that kind of stuff. And, of course, who buys them? My old man's got banners, and he's got badges. He's got a straw hat that says, I like blankety-blank. You know, the big thing with an airplane wing sticking out of the top and yelling and hollering. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, you know, one of those, one of, they had these little things that you blow, and, and those little paper things you blow, you know, and they roll out. They go, and they go, you know, then they hit you on the nose when they come back with a feather. And, and they, they had a thing where you'd roll it out, you'd go, and it sticks out on the end there, and there was a picture this guy would unfold. It would fly up, you know, and they go, well, <laughs> we still have that. Once in a while, when I get depressed at home, I blow it, you know, uh, when I, <laughs> back in Hammond. Well, here is the scene. The millions of people have arrived. 
and and uh, kids are crying and the dust is rising and and radiators are are overflowing and the steam is coming out of the cars and millions of people guys blowing whistles and stuff and then the crowd quiets down there is a pa system going and of course the pa systems then had no, they were just about 90% feedback i'd say there were about oh maybe 1% talk and the rest was just general background noise and jabber and you and the rumor comes past. The rumor ro roars around the crowd. He said he crashed. He crashed. He crashed near Hobart, Indiana. Why Hobart, Indiana? I don't know. With that, the entire crowd, they're running in their cars. He's trying to stop them. <laughs> the word got out that the great man had crashed near Hobart, Indiana. Well, everybody starts to run to the parking lot to get into their cars, and the cops are blowing whistles, you know, blowing, and, no, 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 where are you going, where are you going, uh, no, no, he's coming in, he announced that he's on his way into the field, he's, and nobody believed him, you know, there's a big rush, like a bank holiday rush, everybody's running, the cars are banging at each other, <laughs> well, the old man, of course, had always had trouble with the Oldsmobile getting it started. And that was the only thing that saved the day for us. He couldn't get it started. We were going to Hobart, which is a rotten little town. It lays by the side of a lake, and all they have is catfish there and a couple of drunks, and that's about the whole scene there. And an Esso station, very good Esso station. Well, uh, <laughs> and it's a big truck stop, by the way. If you have a truck, there's a place outside called Ma's Diner. And that's Hobart, Indiana, the total sum and substance, and a big hand that points down to it at 3 in the morning in blue neon and says, Eat, eat. Eat. That's all they do in Hobart. Well, of course, the old man is trying to get the, the old... Wah, 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 and the old isn't going... Oh, and they're all running past. He wants to see the crash, you know. That's part of the show. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, the word came back that he really was over the field, and they all start piling back immediately. They're in great disarray. The crowd is moving back. And before long, the lines are drawn. We're all waiting. And sure enough, what a dramatic moment. Boy, I talk about showmanship. I will never forget this. Out over the field, you could see the cornfields going further and further and further out. Way out over the field, this little dot, this tiny dot comes, and two or three other airplanes had gone up in the air to greet the great man, you know, to fly little circles around. They're flying around, the little Aronkas or something, and they're way up there, and you see this little dot. Well, he comes over the field once. He goes, you know, they make that great roaring sound. And everybody, wow, you know, there he is as a great man. And then he goes up in a great, great inside loop. He just goes over the field, you know. He hangs there upside down for a second. And everybody, you know, they're all, wow, this, is, this cuts the plumber's parade 50 million miles away and going, you know. And everybody's cheering, and, ooh, and then he does a couple of big chandelles. Ooh. And then he comes in low over the field. Now, of course, the fields they had then did not look like Kennedy Airport. I have to tell you that, right? They had a lot of things sticking up that looked like ladies' socks that were always blowing on the wind. You remember those things, the little propellers to show you what direction the wind was in? And there were always a couple of great big tin hangers standing over there. Well, he came right over the hangers, you know, right over the runway, their one long tar runway. You know, he just flipped her right over on her back, and upside down he goes across the field. And there was that golden airplane, which was so legendary that it was even in the comic strips. That was the final accolade in America at the period. 
to be in the comic strips was even better than to be in the cabinet. And, and underneath, yeah, oh, he was in those big comic strips, you know, they used to have under the, under the big ones, there would be this little one that says, uh, Charlie Brown says, uh, yes, I always smoke whoopies. And it, then there's a little, you know, there's a little sequence under there, a little ad sequence. Well, this guy was so great, he was in all the comic strips, and his famous golden airplane, his low-winged monoplane, was as familiar to, to everybody, just the picture of it, as, say, uh, Rock Hudson is today, or, or somebody like uh, uh, Gary Cooper used to be. It's just a familiar profile. And here it was. It was in person, the real airplane, if it can be called in person. Ooh, and that airplane is laying on its back right across the field, and she's churning up the dust and laying it across. And everybody is wild, you know, and the slipstream is knocking all the straw hats off, and the old man is blowing his horn. He's got the flag going. His button is waving. Ooh, and he gets down at the end of the runway. He flips her up, and he goes straight up. He climbs. She's going up, and she's clawing at the wind. What a showman this guy was. He gets up to the top of his climb, about a 1,000 feet. He flips her over on the back and does a couple of slow rolls. You know, oh, those are lovely to see. yelling. And then he goes across the field doing the slow rolls, and with that, he starts to lay her down. You never saw anything like it. He did a spot landing in front of that crowd that would have curled your hair. He just came right in with the flap star, with the brakes, and those wheels hanging. He goes, Ooh. He lands it once, and they, those, those, those pilots at that time had a snotty way of flipping the tail around. You know, he, went, he goes, Ooh. and then he goes, Ooh. Whoom, whoom, and she flips around, and he gives the crowd a big blast of his slipstream. You know, <laughs> he goes, Bleh! and the hats all fly. Woo! They scream. Well, there was a brief moment of silence. He cuts the he cuts the switch. You know, and, and the way they did it, the, they cut the switch, and the prop goes, <laughs> and she pops, and it, it sounded so great. And it, with that. The crowd starts to surge forward. And of course, the cops are blowing their whistles. It was just like going forward to see some fantastic movie star. They're blowing, and they start surging forward. They're yelling and hollering and hitting guys with clubs. Of course, in those days, they expected to get hit with clubs. You know, hey, come on, get back here, you ball. Come on, hold it, hold it. And they're all holding it, the mounted police and the motorcycles. And with that, out there in the brilliant sunshine of that beautiful Midwestern day, the top of that thing flips open. And sitting on the cowl is the great man. Can, can I tell you how that picture was? With that long silk scarf hanging, he had those big goggles over his eyes. You see, he wore them right down flat over his eyes. He had a white helmet. He had a black leather jacket and white whipcord trousers. He had black tight leather puttees. He flipped one leg over, and he sat there for a second, you know, showing us the fantastic exhaustion of the hero after he's done 18 straight barrel rolls and two chandelles and an Immelman turn and an inside loop. He throws his leg over there, you know, and he flips the goggles up, and he had the thin mustache, that Ronald Coleman mustache, and that square, that beautiful jaw, and he looks out over the crowd, and they went ape. They went out of their skulls. I'm telling you, the guys were dropping their Eskimo bars and the whole scene. They were yelling, and, and just like a frenzy, the crowd roared. Well, then out of the back of the airplane, right behind his seat, you could see this head, and it was his lion cub. The lion cub made an appearance. 
Well, I'll tell you, I just can't describe the showman. If you think the Yankees have got showmanship, let me tell you. And he walked out, he just stepped down, and he was tall. He must have been six feet three, like all true heroes. Angular, straight, and the wind is blowing his big white silk scarf behind him. He's got those big black goggles, those green lenses up on the top of his hat. He f opens the thing underneath, you know, the little thing that goes under the chin. He goes like that, and they flap very casually. See, they snap out. And he steps out on the wing, and he just hops down gracefully down to the ground. And I'll tell you, as a kid, for, forever and forever and ever, the image of indescribable heroism was instilled in my, my brain at that moment, like a, like a cockamamie, like a decal, like a Kodachrome. There was man rampant. The clouds are going across the field. And he strides right over the runway, you see. And a couple of mechanics are, are quietly running around. They're pushing the great plane. You know, they don't want to touch it. And they're holding it. They're sort of pushing it back. And he just sort of casually looks back at him. He waves at one of them like, be careful of the baby there. Be careful now. It's man against the elements. Watch that tail there. And he walks across towards the administration building, and the whole crowd is applauding, wildly applauding. The mayor is running across the field. You know, his top hat has fallen off, and his tails are trailing. And he's a little fat man. He used to be the hero in our town. Now he's just a little fat Rotarian who can't even get near this great man. He strides across into the ad building, and the announcement comes, please clear the field, Ford traffic. And a Ford Trimotor is coming down over the long end of the field, and business is back to normal. I will never, ever, ever... What was the name of that man? Honey, I'll meet you on the beach. I've got to stop for cigarettes. Okay. And this time, make it Salem. Let's try something different for a change. Try something different for a change. Light up for Salem for a change. Salem soft as fresh as your taste. Try the soft taste of Salem for a change. Next time you buy cigarettes, enjoy the refreshing difference of Salem filter cigarettes. Salem's softness freshens your taste. Ahead of Salem's modern filter, there's a rich tobacco blend, smoothed with menthol, plus special paper that breathes in fresh air with every puff. Try something different for a change. Light up for Salem for a change. Salem softness freshens your taste. Try the soft taste of Salem for a change. Smoke Salem filter cigarettes. Oh, boy, we got to get to the... Now, now I'll tell you one, one clue about this guy. He, he was the guy that Jim called in and says it must be uh, Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> no, he was the guy that Jimmy Cagney and all those characters were based on in those days. And he carried with him, on, on the side of his plane, was the famous 57. He was sponsored by, of all people, Heinz Pickles. Yeah, they bought the airplane, I guess, and everything, because he had this great big green and white 57 on that golden monoplane. And I don't know where that airplane is today. I, I imagine it's in some museum or something. But it really was. It was a Lockheed. Uh, I believe it was a Lockheed Vega. But uh, beautiful aircraft. And uh, and what was his name? His, na his, his full name started with Colonel blank blank. It had to start with Colonel. 
It just had to, you know. How would you like full information about 28 Caribbean vacation tours for the price of a five-cent stamp? How about going from the sublime here to you-know-what? <laughs> uh, well, you'd like that? Well, it's all yours in Trans-Caribbean's new 56-page vacation guide. Tells you all about Puerto Rico, about the Virgin Islands, all about Aruba. Oh, that's a great spot, Aruba. Tells you about the hotels, restaurants, what to wear, where to go, what to see. Tells you where to find the blackfin tuna. Yeah, where to find French perfumes and imported cameras at nearly half price and a lot of other things, friends, at <laughs> nearly half price. And here's the best part. Trans-Caribbean's Vacation Guide shows you 28 ways to see magnificent Caribbean vacation lands for less than the cost of some vacations here at home, like, say, on 57th Street. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Well, then you just write Trans-Caribbean's Tour Department today. Trans-Caribbean Airways, 375 Park Avenue, right in the heart of the high-rent district, New York City. You buy the stamp, Trans-Caribbean sends you a free vacation guide. Not a bad idea. Speaking of uh, Aruba, how many of you can tell me what Aruba's famous for? It was... Uh, no, no, no. The, it was the only place within uh, within uh, millions of miles that, that that they're famous for this. In fact, during the early days of World War II, there was a big thing, a big story broke about Aruba. What was it? <laughs> Why do I remember this trivia? I have a mind that's just chock-a-block full of junk. Chock speaking of junk, let's see. Uh, you have another one in there? There you go, Jimmy. <laughs> At last, a one-calorie drink that doesn't taste like one. Tab. Mankind has been waiting. Mankind climbing up that pyramid of progress at last has achieved the one-calorie drink. First, it was the pyramid. calories out of a soft drink? Easy. But it took the Coca-Cola company to put flavor in Tab. Robust flavor. Taste the robust flavor of Tab today. How can just one calorie taste that way? The Coca-Cola Company put the robust flavor in Tab. Oh, 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 oh. Tab tastes the way a one-calorie drink should taste. Robust, refreshing. Have you tasted Tab? Tab, a product of the Coca-Cola Company, comes in both the handy eight-bottle carton and the big economical 26-ounce family size. 26-ounce family. I just can't ever pass that one up. I, You know, I'll never forget one day uh, I went in to, to buy, <laughs> I went in to buy a, uh, a bottle of a famous patent medicine. And, uh, yes, it's, it's a very famous patent medicine. No, it was not Pluto Little Crystal. Uh, <laughs> what what was that name of that stuff? Pluto uh, Crazy Water Crystals. My grandmother used to drink Pluto Crazy Water Crystals, and she put her false teeth in them every night. Yeah, I don't know why, but she used to. We always had to keep her with a lifetime supply of Pluto Crazy Water Crystals. But uh, <laughs> well, a lot of stuff. What was the famous crime club that was sponsored by a famous? Uh, uh, well, uh, a pepper-upper, that's the way they do, they say it today. In those days, they, they were very out with what it did. Uh, very out, three-letter word, what was it? The Blank Crime Club. <laughs> well, I went into this drugstore, see, and I went in to buy uh, a bottle of this stuff. That's right, Phil, I knew you'd remember. E-N-O, the Eno Crime Club. And what was for the smile of health, friends? 
of, along the same line of, of products. And what is it that tastes just like good chocolate? But wow. Woo! I'll tell you. I'll never forget the time Junior Bruner ate a half box of it. He was looking around the house, you know, because he knew that Mrs. Bruner had hidden half of his Hershey bar with the nuts in it. And he finally says, well, the heck with it. If it tastes just like good chocolate, I'll try it. And he went down with a half a box of it, and there was more excitement in the neighborhood for about a week there. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I went into this place to buy a bottle of this stuff, and the guy looks at me right in the eye and says, well, he says, do you want the, the family economy size, or do you want the hospital size? And, and it scared the daylights out of me. I can imagine a hospital with a bottle of this stuff on tap. <laughs> Seems to me they ought to have better methods than that. Uh, now, oh, yes, we better get on with some more commercials. Let's see. Here's how Costa invents one of their famous popsicle taste treats. They start with something ordinary, like a smooth, flat stick. Listen to this tremendous story of achievement here, friends. Then they take something extraordinary, like pure Costa ice cream, and they put it on this plain little ordinary stick. Next, they try something just a little bit different, such as coating it with a thick, still-frozen orange sherbet. Finally, they give it a name, like sickle. A sickle with cream. A creamsicle. Yes, and the Costa creamsicle is born. And then comes the mysterious part. They put ten of them in a beautiful box and sell it for only 59 cents. Why, that's less than six cents apiece, friends. Look for the box with the blue gingham on it. Ten for only 59 cents. How can they do it? <laughs> well, there's a lot of cost-cutting around that plant. There's a lot of guys get fired every week just to meet that 59-cent price. Don't worry about money, friends. You just buy them. You'll find Costa creamsicles, fudgesicles, brown cows, and twin popsicles on sale at all Costa dealers and King Cullen, Food Town, A&P, and other supermarkets. There we go, friends. Gee, that was an exciting commercial. Is there anything else as exciting as that around here? What else do I have here? Let's see. The New York World's Fair has a staggering number of fascinating, fabulous exhibits of every variety. However, there is one of special interest to everyone who owns a home. It's called the House of Good Taste. It's fantastic. I was at the House of Good Taste, and I'll never forget it. Good Taste is marching forward here in America, friends. You must see that exhibit. <laughs> Uh, read all about these houses in September Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Rather than forecast homes of the future, this unique exhibit reflects three variations of residential living today. The better living that all of you are used to in the 60s. And remember, Better Homes and Gardens not only shows you all three of these easy-to-live-in homes, their floor plans, full-color, outdoor and indoor photographs, it explains the philosophy which is deep and has roots in Schopenhauer behind them. This is an exclusive, comprehensive, 18-page, full-color feature that can be found only in September Better Homes and Gardens. So, as I said at the start, in my inevitable fashion, if you own a home or hope to own one, be sure to own a copy of September Better Homes and Gardens magazine. It's on sale now. You can't miss it. Now, let's see here. We've had another one here. Boy, we're running late here. Food values from your friendly neighborhood date shopwell supermarket. You save cash and get Kinghorn stamps, too. You'll like the friendly, courteous atmosphere in every Deitch Shopwell store. And by the way, they claim that all chickens are created equal. Well, that's what a chicken that I once dated in Toledo said to me, and I'll never forget it was in the front seat of a Plymouth. I said, who do you think you are, baby? She says, well, who do you think you're talking to? I'm not like every other chicken. I said, oh, yes, you are. Deitch Shopwell says you are. They're all created equal. 
whole U.S. government inspected broiling or frying chickens under three pounds for only 27 cents a pound, split or quartered, quality-fed chickens for only 31 cents a pound. That's right, 27 cents a pound for whole chickens, 31 cents for split or quartered, quality-fed chickens. So serve them chicken. By the way, they have oven-ready rib roast on sale for 63 cents a pound. And they give away king corn stamps at Date Shopwell or your garden supermarkets. Now, how are we? So are we all set? Any more in there? Two more. Well, all right. TV guy this week profiles television's most successful manufacturer. He is a veritable factory. A manufacturer of situation comedies, Sheldon Leonard. TV guide on this week's cover is Wagon Train. So read TV guide, put it at the head of your marketing list right there before Better Homes and Gardens. The August 15th issue is on sale everywhere. TV guide, good reading. Read about hard-hitting Sheldon Leonard, one of the most loved men in television. Now, let's see here. Oh, yes, uh, we have one more here, and I think you've got it. Hit it there. No? Oh, it's mine. This morning at 10.15, Martha Dean, is that it? Is that it? That's not a commercial. Martha Dean talks with Gregory Peck. All right. Okay. I think we've just about cleared it off. Now, write real fast, honey. Dayline. Hudson Dayline. Oh, yes. How would you like a glorious cruise up the Hudson River where you'll see the most beautiful valley in America? It's lovely. The Hudson Dayline, it's a one-day vacation. Get away from the whole world. Get away from the kids and listen to our... How would you like to take a trip up the Hudson River? Listen. like to split, Dad. Go all the way up the Hudson River, keep going right up through Maine and head for the Arctic Circle one day, and I suspect the sales department will be glad to pay my way. The Hudson Dayline. Take that trip. It's 150 miles, and it, it really is a great trip. They leave every day at 10 a.m. from West 42nd Street. No reservation. Call Judson 65300 